All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Ephesians. Now, this is our last video that we'll be doing as Paul completes his letter to the Ephesians. Now, we recall the last time we were here, we were looking at, or actually we should say, we were finishing Paul's commands to each specific group of people. That is how he desired for them to live. When we say Paul, we understand that it is God for the commandments are God. All scripture is God breathed, but nevertheless, Paul was giving his final commands to each particular group. So he began early in uh, chapter four, dealing with the church, how that the church Christian people should live their lives overall, but especially as it pertains to other Christians. And then in the early latter part of chapter five, he began talking about wives, how the wives should live with respect to their husbands and the husband, how the husband should live with respect to his wife. Then he, then last video, we dealt with the issue of the children, the slaves and the masters, how children were expected to be obedient to their parents, how that slaves were also expected to be obedient to their masters. And we also dealt with the practical nature of that in today's sense of the word in dealing with employees, supervisors, things of that nature. Uh, uh, and since I said employees, that's when we bring in the sense of the masters, slave owners, how that the slave owners should treat their slaves with kindness, respect. Okay. So that's where we stopped in the last teaching. Now we're finishing up the final part of this epistle at the end of chapter six is where we are today in Paul's final words to these Ephesians to give them strength and encouragement and basically to say goodbye and pray for me. Okay. So without, without any further ado, let's just get into verse number 10 and we'll finish this section should be pretty briefly. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Okay. So finally, Paul ends this epistle with encouraging words to the believer to equip themselves with what Paul calls the full armor of God. And Paul's going to talk about that armor uh, in a descriptive fashion as he continues on with the text. But here he commands, and mostly you'll see in the remainder of this section are imperatives. And whenever we say imperatives, these are the commands that Paul gives these Ephesian Christians. And we understand that it applies to all of us. And that first imperative that he gives is to be strong. But the strength of the Christian comes, notice what he says, in the Lord and in the strength of his might which is to teach that the strength of the believer 
comes from the Lord. And this strength that God gives the believer is like what Jesus talked about in, what is it, uh, John chapter 7, that which comes from the Spirit, which is a well of renewing strength. That is, the Spirit equips the Christian day by day. We are refreshed by the Holy Spirit of God to stand against the wickedness, the powers of the devil. And we're going to talk about that even as Paul did day by day. So it is a constant refreshing that we receive from the Lord and in the power of his might. And the reason why this is so important is we need to understand we cannot fight against the spiritual forces of Satan in our own strength. There is nothing that we can do to fight against the devil. And this kind of brings my mind back and I'm, I'm going to try not to digress too much, but it does bring my mind back to some of the foolishness that I've heard people talk about putting your foot on the devil. You cannot put your foot on the devil. The devil, Satan is the highest order of created being. He is the most authoritative. He is the wisest. He is the most powerful of all creative being. When I say power, I'm dealing with the issue of authoritativeness. He is the great, the greatest and the best that God has made. We are not, we can't even deal with a messenger angel, less known a cherub, which is the highest order of angel that Satan himself belongs to. But anyway, let's break off from this digression. The point being is it is only in the might and power of God that we are able to stand, but let's continue on. So he talks about this full armor of God and notice this is such a beautiful thing, the full armor of God. So the mindset of Paul, and you can imagine since Paul right now is enduring, he's going through a Roman imprisonment. So he is very familiar with the Roman soldier. And as you can see, as Paul talks about God's armor, uh, uh, you can imagine how he is looking at a Roman soldier. And then he takes that uh, Roman soldier's armament that he sees and gives a descriptive language of how God has empowered the believer. But nevertheless, the full armor of God, let me go back here again to say, it is that which God gives. Notice the armor that we have is the armor of God himself or the idea in the possessive sense, the armor that God gives so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, let me deal with this stand firm. As if you guys notice in the text, I've highlighted this in the green in the text. It is a beautiful thing that you see, and I'm not going to get a lot into the Greek grammar here, but when he almost in every instance, when Paul talked about standing firm, he uses this in the aorist sense. Okay. So that we won't get in the Greek tense. And it's a beautiful way that they translated it for the word is to stand. And as we see in the Greek text, let me, let me get into the right chapter here because I popped off my wrong chapter, but he says the the number of Greek words that I use stanai again, stanai, then stay, but each of those is in the aorist tense. 
Usually the errors in the normal sense, it denotes something that took place in the past. That's the idea, something that has been completed. It gives the idea of a completed action. But the, the point of what Paul is trying to say, he is not trying to talk about you stood firm, that's what you did in the past. But the aorist is bringing out the sense, a, a dynamic sense, an emphatic sense of standing. And that's why we translate that stand firm. And so what Paul is saying by the use of this aorist tense of this word, you stand strong. Don't you, don't you give an inch. Don't you back up. Don't you back down. So you can see the power in that he wrote it in this aorist tense of the verb, uh, in standing strong. But anyway, enough of that. So he says, God has given us his armor, or, or armor we have received. This is the best way to understand it. We have received specific armor from God, full armor from God to enable us to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, that is Satan himself. And so what he begins to talk about in the latter parts of this verses 12, he talks about Satan and his schemes. And hereby in talking about Satan, he speaks of Satan's uh, 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 authoritative, uh, uh, I don't want to say authoritative, that's not the best way to say it but how Satan sets himself, how Satan, or as Jesus would say it this way, this is the best way to say it, Satan's kingdom, how to understand Satan's kingdom. And thus we understand by Paul's teaching even here and even Jesus teaching what was in the back of my mind was in Matthew chapter 12. Okay. In Matthew chapter 12, when they brought the demon possessed boy to Jesus to cast out the devil after Jesus cast out the devil. Remember they said that Jesus himself, well, himself had a devil. So therefore Jesus cast out the devil with the devil, which was stupid within itself. And Jesus talked about Satan's house or Satan's kingdom. And that's why I use the terminology, his ordered kingdom. And this is what we begin to see with Paul's descriptors concerning Satan as he speaks of the schemes of Satan, that we have to be ready. We are given the armor of God and we are, we are commanded to stand firm against Satan's kingdom, his schemes. What? Then he begins to say in verse number 12. Now let's unpack Satan's kingdom. What I was talking about. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We indeed, even though it may seem from time to time that we do struggle against people. But what Paul is saying, and he's not saying that we don't struggle against people at all, but what he is saying is, it's what's behind the scenes. It's what's behind the scenes. So ultimately our struggle is not simply with human beings, flesh and blood, but against rulers. Now this is where we bring in the idea of the kingdom of Satan, even more so as I was saying, the ordered, ordered rule of the kingdom of Satan. When I keep saying ordered guys, what I'm trying to emphasize is 
Satan's kingdom is not something just thrown together. Satan has a highly ordered, orchestrated kingdom by which he attacks the believer, by which he rules over all of his demonic subjects. And when we say demonic subjects, these are no more than fallen angels. And thus, as Satan rules over all of this kingdom, we're going to talk about that. He doesn't just do it in some arbitrary fashion. It is indeed a very ordered system by which he uses to attack God's people. So, so when Satan comes at you, oh, it's a directed and an ordered attack. But anyway, let's go back to the text and tell me about Satan's kingdom. What it consists of rulers, powers. So you can see the, uh, the, the organization, different levels of rulers. These are fallen angels, no doubt with specific jobs and no doubt in the kingdom of Satan being given specific administrations and powers, these things by Satan. So you can see it's a very ordered kingdom, rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness. That is the darkness of this age. As we remember Jesus talking about Satan being the ruler of this world, that is the ruler of this present age darkness. Why? Because it is enveloped this present age. It is enveloped in sin because it is ruled by Satan forces of this darkness against what spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So what we see is the organization and the powers and the administration of Satan's kingdom, all ruled by Satan. Again, the idea, thus when Satan comes at you, or the, and the idea is when he comes at you with whatever forces he comes at you with, demon, one that is given to harass you, to tempt you, or whatever, whenever he does it, he does it in a very straightforward and an organized manner. And since Satan's forces are so organized and directed and have such power and authority, how can a believer withstand such a force? How is it possible for a believer to withstand such directed force only with the full armor of God. See now, so therefore what? Put on God's full armor. Why? Because when Satan comes at you, he comes at you to kick your butt and you will not again, you will not be able to stand against these forces unless you have the full armor that God has supplied you with. All right, but let's go on. Let's go on. Let's go on. And that's why he said, that, that's what I was just dealing with. Verse number 13, knowing that Satan had this power, knowing that he's coming at you with this force, force of organization as well, put on, take up the full armor of God so that you can be able to resist Satan in the evil day. Now the evil day seems to suggest the day of your 
temptation. The day when Satan personally, when I say Satan, it does not always mean Satan personally, but Paul is using Satan here in the generic sense as because he is over all of these fallen angels, which are demons. He is over all of these forces, rulers, authorities of this age and, and of the heavenly places. He's over all of this. So when one of them comes at you, you basically say Satan comes at you. All right. But anyway, uh, going back here, the evil day is the day of your temptation. Thus, when you are tempted because you have taken up, put on this full armor of God, you are able to, again, at that error's tense, I love that error's tense, to stand firm. Satan will fail when he assails against you in whatever way it is, not because you are so powerful and you are so great, but because God has equipped you with his armor. He has supplied you with these things so that you can, can I say it this way, withstand the assault of Satan. Okay. Verse 14. Thus he says again, in the imperative sense, he commands all Christians, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And let me stop there. Let me stop there. Okay. So now what Paul begins to do is he gives us those descriptors of the full armor of God. And remember, as I said earlier, and you can imagine Paul is in prison. And Paul, right now, the Roman in prison. And Paul is very familiar with Roman soldiers. So whether Paul was literally gazing at, as he was writing, a Roman soldier standing, or by virtue of his memory, you can see Paul using the physical appearance or the physical attire of the Roman soldier and how that the Roman soldier was equipped for battle. He was what? Equipped for battle. How he was dressed as Paul talks about those specific items of the Roman soldier's dress to talk about how God has equipped his people. Okay. So he, so we'll talk about each one in particular. We're not going to deal with it in great detail, but you'll get the gist of what Paul is talking about. So notice again, the idea of verse number 14, Stand firm. So notice the soldier, we are standing. And you can imagine as Satan, as he talks about later on in this section, the arrows of Satan constantly coming at us. And what are we doing? We are standing firm. We are not falling down. We are not running away. We are holding our ground, being armed with the armament of God himself, but having girded your loins with truth. Now, 
when the soldier, the Roman soldier, the first thing that the Roman soldier would do as he clothed himself, clothed, clothed himself uh, to put on his armament, he would put on this belt and this belt would basically hold for the most part, be the centerpiece of the holding of his armament. So the first thing that he do would put on this belt. And this is what Paul says when he says to gird, put on the belt, gird your loins, gird your loins with truth. And now when he talks about the truth, the question becomes here, and I don't want to, I don't want to lose you, but he, he, here is the question theologically. Is he talking about objective or subjective truth? Objective truth can be understood as the truth of the word of God. That is the truth of the scriptures. Okay. That's objective truth. Subjective truth is dealing with the truth of how you live, living the type of life that, it, that God commands for us to live, a life of truthfulness. Do you understand that? So what is Paul talking about? Objective truth or subjective truth? And here, by the very context of what Paul is doing, notice what he says, gird your loins, gird yourself. You put on. Since Paul is talking about something that you do for yourself, it is clear that the truth here is subjective because that's the idea. Subjective has to do with you or from the perspective of yourself. So what is Paul saying? The first thing that we need to do is we need to have a life of truthfulness, a lifestyle, a life that is characterized by truthfulness. So gird your loins with truthfulness and continuing on after that bell, put on the breastplate, breastplate. Y'all remember this thing that goes over the chest to protect the chest, the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness speaks for itself, righteous living. So you can see how truth therefore would be subjective because you truthfulness, you living righteousness, righteously. <laughs> okay. Truth is the belt. Righteousness is the breastplate. And then he says, and placing on your feet, your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that shoes, the shoes that the soldier would wear, that shoes that would be ever so needful as the soldier. And I like this idea, the shoes ever so needful that the soldier would need as he marches into battle. And we as Christian are to have our feet shod with the gospel of peace as we do what? March into battle with the gospel. As we march into this world, into the darkness of this age, as we engage Satan with the gospel, but it is the gospel of peace. But anyway, beautiful, isn't it? Then he says, in addition to all of that, taking up the shield of faith by which you'll be able to extinguish all of the fiery darts, fiery uh, 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 darts of the devil, the fiery uh, arrows of the devil. And that is 
that faith that keeps us and helps us to be able to stand that the, the day, the time comes when Satan will assault us. It's almost, it takes my mind back to one of the very first assaults that we have in scripture. It is matter of fact, it was the very first assault. And that is when Satan uh, using the serpent came to the woman or spoke to Eve and said, hath God said, hath God said, these were some of the very first arrows, flaming arrows at Eve, even, even at Adam to assault their faith, to turn, to cause problems, to make them doubt the word of God. That was it right there, wasn't it? Doubt the word of God. And so therefore God gives us what faith that we should always believe what God has said. Why? Because Satan is always coming. He is always trying. He is always trying to do things, flaming arrows, to try to make us doubt the word of God, to doubt what God says about himself, to doubt what God says that he will do, to doubt who Jesus claims that he is, God in human flesh, Jesus resurrection from the dead to doubt God created the whole universe. <laughs> A beautiful thing to doubt what God said. Let me preach what God says about sexuality to doubt when God says through the mouth of Paul, don't let no man deceive you. If you practice sexual immorality, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what does Satan do? He sends the arrows. No, 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 no. You can be a gay Christian or it's nothing wrong with being a transgendered believer in Christ. But he constantly sends these arrows to make you doubt, to make you not believe the word of God or the promises of God. Let me preach on one day. My Jesus is going to invade the heavens one day. When I say invade the heavens, that means he's going to part the clouds of the earth and he will with the voice of his angel, with a shout and the trump of God, he will command that all of his people gather unto him and Jesus will take us all back to heaven so that we will be with him forever. One day, this is called the rapture of the church, but Satan wants to make you doubt these things. But anyway, okay, enough preaching back to the text, the shield of faith. So that when Satan tries to make us doubt, we tell him you are a liar. Even what the father of all lies. And then verse number 17, the helmet of salvation. Helmet is that which protects the head. That is the mindset, the hope and the belief of our salvation. Do not let Satan, nothing sent by Satan, whether demonic spirit or a human being, 
Don't let me say it like this. This is how I feel. This is how I feel. Don't let nobody tell you that you are not saved, that you do not belong to Jesus. And that ultimately God not only has a plan for your specific life, but God has an in eternal inheritance for you even me in the new heavens and the new earth, eternal life. Don't let nobody tell you that for if you believe, if you believe what that, if you let me preach, I guess I feel like preaching today and I don't care for if you, for if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that is, he is God sent from heaven, that Jesus is divine. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God resurrected him from the dead, in order to be resurrected from the dead, you must have a human body. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he came and died for your sins and that God the Father resurrected him from the dead on the third day and that he sits at the right hand of God. Paul says you will be saved if truly you believe that Jesus is both Lord God and Christ Messiah the man you will be saved. This is the hope of our salvation and don't let the devil and nobody else tell you that this protects our mind. It protects our thinking. But anyway, okay. Okay. Enough preaching. Then he talks about that final thing, that final piece of the armament, the sword. Now this is our offensive weapon, our offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit. And that is, the word of God. And that's how we attack the devil's infantry. That's how we attack the schemes, the influences, all of the flaming darts of the devil, all that he brings against us. Our weapon of attack is the word of God. And you know what I like about that? When it said it, uh, uh, it says the, the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Can you envision that? The Holy Spirit's sword, the third person of the triune God, his sword. Isn't that a beautiful picture in our mind? God gives us the spirit's sword. <laughs> but anyway, the word of God. Okay, now, so we have finished talking about the descriptors this is what Paul calls what the whole armor of God and being clad with this armament, we are able to do what will stand all of the evil influences and how in whatever way that Satan targets and attacks us with this armament. All right, let's bring it to a close. Now he continues on and he, he doesn't make much of a shift, but he talks about the idea of in addition to these things, even though God has equipped us with this spiritual armament, there is a duty, there is an obligation that we have to make certain that we are able to apply these things rightly. How do we apply this armament rightly? with all prayer and petition, 
pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Let's continue and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Okay. So then he says that, that sense of application, not so much as the glue, but how do you apply this armament through prayer without prayer? These things in a sense, are diluted and they lose their effectiveness, not because the armament of God, the armor of God is effective, but because you're not applying it. But how do you apply it with prayer and petition? I like that all prayer and all manner of calling on the Lord. You see, it's when we call on God and we pray to God that we ourselves are strengthened. You can kind of see like the armor, the armor of God, God giving us all of these things that we need as we seek him in prayer. And how should we pray? Should we pray sporadically? Mm -mm. Praying at all times and this prayer being energized, praying at all times, energized, aided by the Holy Spirit, and then always being on alert with perseverance and prayer for all the saints. Not only praying for yourself to be able to stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil, not only praying for yourself, but pray for all of God's people. Pray for God's people everywhere at all times. Okay. And then Paul begins to direct their concern towards him for no man is an Island. That is no man stands alone. We are all interdependent, no matter who we are, what gifts we have, what part God has given for us to play in the body of Christ. No man stands by himself. That's the idea Paul is teaching as he has always taught about the interdependence of the saints. Thus, what does he say? Pray for me. Verse 19, pray on my behalf. And Paul begins to ask them to pray that he might be strengthened to continue to teach, preach, and carry the gospel of Christ. And Paul calls this gospel a mystery. That is, remember, for the Jews considered Christ and the gospel stumbling stone. They rejected Jesus Christ. Paul, the Romans, the Greeks considered to be craziness. But nevertheless, Paul, Paul knew the coming of Christ, bringing the Jew and the Gentile together in one body. That's the beautiful thing. And it takes us all the way back to chapters one and two of this very same epistle. 
of the epistle of the Ephesians, how Paul talked about the mystery of Christ being the Jew and the Gentile being combined into one new creation to make the body of Christ. And he wants, he's asking Ephesians, pray for him that he can continue to do these things that he needs to do as he ought to do. And he wants to do this with continued boldness. And you can understand why he would ask for this prayer. Why? As he has just said, as he himself is an ambassador of Christ, a representative of Christ Jesus in prison at this time. Why is Paul in Roman imprisonment? Because of his preaching of the gospel. So he requests that the Ephesians would pray for him so that he can continue to preach the gospel with boldness, no matter what should happen to him. All right. Now let's finish it. We draw, drawing it properly to the close 21, but that you may also know about my circumstances, how I'm doing Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. And I can already see, amen. <laughs> but anyway, so finally he talks about, he says, after he talks about pray for him, his point is Tychicus, he calls him beloved brother. He said that he was a faithful servant, diaconos, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ alongside of Paul. Tychicus is the one whom Paul has sent this letter to the Ephesians. The very letter that we are reading, Tychicus has this letter and he is going to give it to the Ephesians as well. He's going to inform them of how Paul is doing and comfort their hearts. He said, in other words, Paul is all right. He's in Roman prison, but he is all right. And he's going to tell you how Paul is doing. And then finally he closes the letter with peace be to the brethren, love and faith. And then he says this in the end of the letter from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Both. He gives the, the, the farewell from the perspective of the divine names. That is notice. It's a beautiful thing. You have to always catch it and be mindful from God, the father, right? One person then, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person, you see it now Two divine persons. And Paul makes that clear. And that's why he used the name Lord. Lord refers to the divinity of Jesus. Christ refers to the humanity of Jesus. One who is the Messiah who has come in flesh. And then finally grace with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how you can feel Paul's pathos, the emotion that he has and the love that he has for Jesus, who he understands as his Lord, even the Lord God in flesh. 
those who love him, those who know him, incorruptible, that Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed teaching from the book of Ephesians. And if I had to summarize the book in its totality, what was Paul doing? He was saying to these Gentiles, and you have to understand that point, Gentile, non-Jews. What a blessed and wonderful thing God has done. God has purposed this thing of his own self, of his own will. God has brought this to pass by his own power. What has God brought to pass? Your election, you Gentiles. God has determined to bring you who were once foreigners, you who were once not a part of the family of God. You were strangers of the covenants and promises that the Jews had. God has now brought you into a new creation that consists of now both Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ. This we call the election, that is, your salvation. And this wonderful salvation and inheritance, I want to make it clear to you, this is not of yourself. It is by grace, God's gracious gift, that you have been saved. And thus, I, Paul, am a minister, a preacher of this gospel to you. And thus, having received this gospel, having received this wonderful gift of God's salvation, his purpose and plan for you, apart from anything that you do, I command you to live lives that reflect this salvation. Thus, live in a way that pleases God, remembering how you formerly were living in the lust of your flesh, in the darkness and alienation from God of your mind, doing all types of sinfulness. Remember this. And in remembering these things about your former way of life, take it off, put it away from you. Now put on righteousness and be renewed in your mind and in your heart, according to righteousness, the things that I have taught you while I was with you. And above all things, live right, reflecting Christ in the world, and also live right and compassionately, especially towards one another. And more than all things, be loving, compassionate, and forgiving of one another. And now I turn my attention to the wives, the family, locally, socially, wives. Now you be subject to your husbands and husbands, you love your wives. Children, obey your parents. And if you are a slave, we understand that today, you work for somebody, if you are a slave, you now you be obedient to those who are your earthly masters. And if you are a slave owner, an earthly master or even a boss or supervisor as we understand it in today's time. Now you be considerate to those who are your slaves and you remember you got a master too and he ain't on earth. He's in heaven. 
And finally, I say to all of God's people, now you be strong and understand that God has given you equipment that will enable you to stand against all of the assaults of the devil. And concerning that equipment that God gives you, whether it's the helmet or the shield or the sword or the shoes or the belt, you put on these things so that you will be able to stand against any assault of the devil, knowing that this armament is God's armament. And in all things, strengthen these things, even strengthen yourself with these things by praying, praying for yourself, praying for all the saints, and finally, praying for me. And thus, I send Tychicus to tell you how I'm doing and the state of my affairs. Bless you all in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son. Bless all those who love Jesus. Amen. That is the book of Ephesians. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me so much. But anyway, if these lessons have been a blessing to you, there's always this little thanks button in the YouTube and there's a link in the description that you can use. If the Lord, if the Spirit of God touches your heart to say support this ministry so that he can continue to bring you these lessons, okay? Then do so, I'm asking you. Also for the YouTube stuff, guys, always remember, do the like and the, and the subscribe. <laughs> and thank you guys for joining me in these teachings. See you next time.